time of worship. We thank You, Lord, and Your people, and we turn to You and we draw near to You. Father, what a joy, what a blessing to be with Your people in Your presence. And so, God, now our hearts, having worshipped and just opened up to You, Lord, we pray that we would be ready to receive from You, from Your Word. God, speak to us tonight. Open up the Scriptures and let us hear those things that You have for us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. (laughs) We're in the home stretch. Only a few more chapters left. We'll be looking at chapter 32 tonight. I've entitled tonight's study, Sight, uh, Living by Sight, Not by Faith. Now, of course, we know the Scriptures encourage us. To, live, to walk by faith and not by sight. But what we're going to see here tonight is an example of uh, certain tribes within the ch- uh, children of Israel that are actually going to be making a choice to live and walk by their sight rather than by their faith. So we want to look at that. Now, let me just remind you, this, the tribes that we'll be looking at will be the, that are going to make this, this choice will be the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. You remember the children of Israel are there in the wilderness. God has begun to establish victory for them. And uh, they've just defeated the Midianites. They've taken a large uh, spoil for themselves. God is really beginning to bless. But they are still, at this time, on the east side of the Jordan River. The promised land is on the west side of the Jordan River. So they have not yet gone in, but they're beginning to to already experience God's hand with them and God's victory, and God is getting ready to bring them in. Now, I want to remind you that much of what we look at here in this this passage, uh, these passages concerning the children of Israel, beginning from their exodus out of Egypt and wilderness experience and into the promised land, is also intended to speak to us concerning our spiritual journey and our walk of salvation. Paul the Apostle actually says this specifically, I quote from 1 Corinthians 10.11, speaking of the children of Israel, the Apostle said, Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition, our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these are, have been recorded that we might learn and that we might understand spiritual principles from their experiences for our lives as well. And the Apostle Paul would liken the coming through the Red Sea to, the, to a baptism. So, Egypt, kind of a, a type and symbol of the world and the life in the world, the life in bondage. Remember the children of Israel were enslaved there. And to live in the world, to live in sin, is a bondage. And so the children of Israel came out and they were delivered by Moses and they came via the Red Sea. Kind of a baptismal experience coming out from the old into the new life. But the wilderness experience, although they have come out of bondage, the wilderness is not the end desired place that God has for them. It is more of a transition into the promised land. The promised land is to represent that victorious and abundant, joyful, peaceful Christian life that God has called us to. Do you know that you can come out of the world and be baptized and come to salvation, but never really move forward into a full, joyful, abundant, 
victorious Christian life. It's true. In fact, unfortunately, you know, many end up kind of settling there in the wilderness. They never continue to walk with the Lord, or they never kind of continue to put the, the deeds of the flesh to death. And this crossing of the Jordan is kind of a moving forward in the things of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit and leaving the old man completely behind. So that's kind of the typology, and I just wanted to re- refresh your mind in that, uh, because that, that will kind of speak to us, I think, as we look at some of these verses tonight. These children, these tribes, are going to be settling uh, on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Now, pick it up with me. You'll look verses 1 through 5. And we'll see these tribes coming to Moses and making their request. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and a very great multitude of livestock, when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elelah, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon, the country which the Lord defeated. Yeah, you got to go fast through those. <laughs> the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. So they see this land. They've got a lot of cattle. They've got a lot of livestock. I imagine so after the Midianites. Remember there was hundreds of thousands of of, uh, cattle that were dispersed amongst the tribes. And so these tribes are, are looking and they see this land that they're already in. And they're saying, you know, we already have this land. We don't have to cross over. We don't have to fight anybody. We don't have to go and, and experience any more battles over on the other side of the Jordan. Let's just settle here. This looks good to us. This will be good for our cattle. And so they come to Moses and they make this request. Now we're going to read in just a moment how Moses reacts to that. It's not positive, at least not at the beginning. But I want, to, I want to suggest that, in my opinion, the, these tribes are making a mistake. They're actually making a decision based on their sight, not on faith. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They see the land. The promised land they can only see through faith. It's unseen. It can only be understood through faith, believing that God is going to bring it, believing that God is going to bless them. They can't see it yet. They're not sure. Maybe we'll get over there and there won't even be as good a land as what we already have. And so they're they're tempted to stay. And in fact, they request, and I believe they're settling for something less than what God ultimately wanted to give and had for them. And there is a problem when you begin to live life, at least spiritually speaking, by those things that you see. They saw the land. Remember Eve in the garden, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. She saw and she forgot the words and counsel of God. Rather, she was interested in what she saw. You remember Lot 
when he was given opportunity to choose where he and his family would live between separating the tribes between him and Abraham. And it says in Genesis 13, And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And so then he went and he settled near Sodom. But what he he didn't think about, and the Bible tells us, is that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot didn't pray. Lot just looked and he saw, oh, that'll be good for me and my family. Not taking into account some of the spiritual uh, ramifications of what would happen living in that community that was already beginning to live uh, in complete sin against the Lord. We know the story of how Lot and his family ultimately had to be rescued out of that place. The Apostle John, he would say, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now I I compare these, these tribes with some of the daughters of Zelophehad that we looked at some chapters back. Remember those five daughters? They came to Moses. They said, what did they say? They said, Give us our Father's portion in the promised land. Now that's a statement of faith. They'd never seen the land. They didn't didn't know what lied beyond the Jordan, but they knew God had made promise, and they were putting their faith in God's promise, and they wanted what God had promised. That's a statement of faith. Give us what we can't see, but we know is there, because God has declared it, and God has promised it. And if God is promising it, we want it. Please give us a share, a portion in this promised land. That's a statement of faith versus these tribes coming and saying, you know, hey, this looks good right here. You guys go ahead and, you know, enjoy yourself in the promised land. We've got a lot of cattle. This makes it. Let us stay here. Being led by sight and not by faith. Something else that's kind of going on here, I think, is that these tribes are beginning to lean on their own understanding. You know, it looks good to them. They're they're not uh, living by trust or hope in the Word of God. Rather, they are kind of scheming and figuring things out based on their own desire and their their own understanding. And there's something about this that just lacks faith. There is something about this that even kind of lacks an understanding of God and His nature. If God is promising something, and you are saying, no thanks, I want this instead. There is really something wrong in your understanding of God, as if what God would promise would be somehow less than what you can see and kind of take into your own, by your own, you know, into your own hands. If God has promised something, it's going to be better than anything that you can see anything that you can lay your hands on by yourself and in your own strength, that is leaning on your own understanding. Yeah, but I can see it. It's real. I mean, it's here. It's now. It's good. Why take the risk of what God has promised turning out to be hard or not as good or, or you know, not as you know, favorable for us as what we have right before our eyes? And I do believe that we do, even as Christians, sometimes we struggle with that. Have you ever been afraid of what God might ask you to do? 
Oh, I hope he doesn't ask me to go there. I hope he doesn't ask me to do that. I don't want to serve there. I hope oh God, but whatever. You know, there's a missionary, uh, Deanna, she's down in Mexico. And she prayed so hard, Lord, whatever you do, don't send me down to Mexico. She's been down there, I think, about 20 years now, serving the Lord. And, and as, as a missionary, she works with Pastor Chris Martinez, Calvary Chapel, Pedregales, and Tijuana. But sometimes in our hearts, we imagine that somehow God is going to you know, require something of us or take us to a place that you know, is not going to be good. There needs to be a trust in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean every place is easy. That doesn't mean that there won't be battles. It doesn't mean there, there, were, there were enemies in that promised land, to be sure. But whatever God has for you, it will be the best. God's plans are always the best. God's ways are the best. And He loves us so. You have to know that the Father's love would only want the very best for His children. And that trust, once there's that confidence, then Lord, You send me where You want. You, Lord, if that's what You're promising, that's what I want. I don't want to settle for something that, that less than what You have for me. Even though I can't see it yet, even though I'm unsure, I want to trust the Lord. I don't want to be leaning on my own understanding. I want to be willing to wait. I want to be willing to trust and pursue those things that God has called. Uh, They're making a decision here, really, to be honest, based on their material desires. This is not a spiritual decision. They have an abundance of cattle. That's what's making their decision. We've got cattle. This is good land for grazing. Let's stay here. And this is a caution for all of our hearts, this whole kind of materialism. Sometimes it can limit faith, and it will actually uh, challenge obedience to the Word. Paul spoke of this about a man named Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. You don't need to turn, I'll just read these to you. He said of Demas that he has, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. And we don't know the whole circumstance surrounding Demas' decision, but Demas had been serving in ministry with Paul. But something in his heart turned to this present world. He saw something maybe in Thessalonica. Wow, this would be a nice city to come back to and settle down in. Maybe he had something drawing him, something of a love for this present world kept him from going forward with Paul in ministry and being fruitful. And rather, he made a decision based on a material desire, not a spiritual desire. Maybe it's a job opportunity, education goals, retirement plans, quality of life, possessions. Jesus said, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke said, uh, Jesus speaking in Luke said, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So there is this danger when the heart is longing for comfort, when the heart is longing for material blessing. Now, God will bless. There's nothing wrong with them wanting a place to settle and raise their family and raise their cattle. But rather than trusting what God has planned, They're drawn away and they see with their eyes and they make this decision. And finally, the thing that I see here that that I think is wrong with this, this choice is that they're kind of taking matters into their own hands. 
And we all come to decisions that we have to make in our life. And, you know, some of them are big. Some decisions are small. And, they, you know, you just make them every day. Some decisions are significant. And for me, and I'm not, I don't know how to do this all the time, but this is my desire. My desire is, Lord, I don't want to take the reins or take the wheel, as that one song, Jesus, take the wheel. I want you to be making the decisions in my life. I don't want, because sometimes we can steer things, can't we? Oh, this will be good. God, this will be so good that I, just let me have the reins and this, bless this. This is good. And we imagine that somehow God is in it because it looks good and it seems good. But I would rather wait and make sure and allow the Lord to confirm. Don't take matters into your own hands. Allow the Lord some space to show and to confirm. You know, I think that's what Abraham did when, Lot's, when him and Lot realized, you know, the space, uh, there's not enough space here for our, our, all of our flocks and our herdsmen are starting to bicker. And Abraham, now he was the one that God called to the land. He had the right to make the choice, but he said, okay, Lot, you choose. Because in, I think in Abraham's heart, he realized that my blessing is not in my ability to choose right. My blessing is in trusting God, who has already made choices for me, and has already chosen to bless me, and has already called me. And so there's a little bit of a surrendering that needs to take place, trusting God to work out those details, rather than getting in there, I know what to do. I'll figure this out. I'll take matters into my own hands. And God will bless it because I'll just really try hard and pray hard. And it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily wrong. And it may even be what the Lord ultimately has. But I suggest that it's better at times to not take matters into your hands, but let the Lord kind of show His hand. Let the Lord reveal. Sometimes that takes time. That's hard, isn't it? We don't, we don't, we're not good with time. We're not patient. We want it now. No, Lord, I can't wait. This looks good. I want to take it. I want to do it. And we make decisions impulsively. Or, and, and I think that's part of what's going on here with these tribes. They see it. It's good. Why wait? Why, you know, who knows what's over across the other side? Let's ask Moses if we can just stay here. This will be great for us. And they take matters into their own hands. There's no evidence that anybody prayed. There's no evidence that anybody was really, you know, trusting God, just getting it into their own hand and making their own decision. Well, let's read on. Let's see how Moses responds to this. Verse 6. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? (laughs) Good question. Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from twenty years old and above, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord." 
So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Moses says, here we go again. We came up here before to Kadesh Barnea. We sent out spies and they came back and they discouraged the people. Except for the two, Joshua and Caleb, who wholly followed the Lord. And, and, and Moses hears this, these requests now from these tribes and he says, you guys are making the same mistake. You're going to discourage the people too. You're going to say, you guys go without us. And it's going to create a discouragement into the heart of the people. Don't do this. And he calls them really brood of sinful men. And he says a number of things here in the rebuke. I like that first question. Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? I mean, does that seem like what the Lord would have for you? It sounds great for you. You'll stay here. The nation has already, God has already used the nation to win the victory in this land. So thank you very much. You'll just settle and take it. What all of your brethren helped you know, bring to you. But you won't go now with your brethren and help them take the land that God has promised to them. Moses kind of calls them out. Look, there's something selfish about that. There's something very self-seeking. You, you want the help of the, of, the, of the brethren when you need help. But then once you have the help you need, go, you know, bless you, brethren, go on and, and, you know, fight your own battles. And I do think it speaks a little bit to just how God has called us to kind of walk within the body of Christ. You know, the, the Bible says that when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we're all to rejoice. We're not to be self-centered and self-seeking. Oh, this works for me. And not thinking about how it affects the body. And then so these guys are not thinking about the rest of the nation at all. They're only thinking about what looks good and is appealing for them. And there's a disconnect from their responsibility and a disconnect really from the appreciation. They wouldn't have had that land had it not been for the nation come and, you know, take the land. And so I think that there's something here going on in their hearts. Moses calls it out. And he, and he says, you know, this is, this is selfish. Um, you need, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, they'll take their own land. We have ours. And sometimes this attitude can even creep into the, into the church. Well, someone else will do it. Someone else will serve. Someone else will go. Someone else will give. It's more comfortable for me right here. I have what I need. I have what I want. I get from this body and the church what's good for me. And the rest are on their own. And that's not the way a body thrives. That's not the way a body is healthy. A body is healthy when each member is doing something of its own part, contributing to the health of the whole. And God, Moses, is clearly identifying this kind of self-seeking attitude in these, these tribes. He also says, why will you discourage the heart? Um, there's something about a responsibility that we have in our witness one to another. You go without us. We're not interested. Their lack of enthusiasm for the promised land is going to affect the rest of the tribes. And Moses knows that. He's already been through this. 
He's already seen how discouragement can spread through a people. And I think that's true in our lives as well. If we're discouraged or if we're uninterested in spiritual things or if we're not enthused about what God is doing, then it kind of you know, spreads to others, right? Why should I get enthused? The pastor doesn't even come to church. Well, if that were true, that would, that would be a good complaint, right? I mean, there's something about those, that, those hearts that are encouraged in the Lord. Let's go. Let's get all that God has for us. Let's take the land. That, that was Joshua and Caleb's attitude, right? Let's go. God's given it to us. We want everything that God has given. And that has a contagious kind of spirit as well. We encourage one another. Doesn't the Bible say to stir one another up to good works, to love and good works? We have a responsibility to one another. And, you know, I know that there are seasons when all of us are discouraged. I mean, there are seasons when, you know, you're going through something. It's a family crisis or a personal crisis, and and it can be something of a discouragement. And that's when you need the body to come around and and pray and, and encourage you and strengthen you. But sometimes I think we're just kind of discouraged just because that's kind of our our demeanor. Oh, I've got to go to church tonight. Now, it's not just about church, you know. It's just about our spiritual lives together. You going to the married couples fellowship? Nah, I don't go to that. No. You know, and again, I'm not saying that attendance is required at everything, but there's, there, you know, when when that attitude is like, just it, it, it kind of, you know, it takes away some of the spiritual energy one from another. We do have a responsibility to be encouraging one another, to be uh, pursuing the Lord together. And, you know, Moses identifies really the issue. It's an issue of the heart. He said, you know, your fathers did not wholly follow the Lord. You're acting like them. Uh, and you need to instead act like Joshua and Caleb, who wholly followed the Lord. And this is really what God has called us to to wholly follow Him completely with everything that is within us, with all that we have to be, to be pursuing and after the things of God. And when, when that's going on in your heart, it is an encouragement to others. Aren't you encouraged when you're around somebody that's just really wholly living for the Lord? Doesn't that inspire you? Doesn't that kind of motivate your heart? And to get around brothers and sisters that just want to be working and serving the Lord. You're on a mission trip and everybody's serving. And, and there's, a, there's a certain spiritual energy and, and fellowship that you have. Uh, it can happen in, in, in a fellowship. It can happen in a family. It can happen amongst friends. When you begin to wholly follow the Lord and you inspire others to follow with you, Moses is rebuking these, these tribes for these kinds of problems. There's something of a selfishness. There's, there's a lack of really uh, responsibility, and, and, and they're going to be discouraging their brethren, and they're not wholly following the Lord. Well, uh, they come back to Moses. They recognize that this is not right, and so they come with a promise. Look with me now in verse 16, the resolution. Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. 
We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. And then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over, every man armed for war, before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. Moses is giving instruction. He's not going over. He's going to be ready, getting ready to go be with the Lord. His time has come to the end. So he's giving Joshua and, the, and Eleazar the priest the instructions of what he's arranged. Verse 30. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So they, they come to this agreement. And to their credit, this took a step of faith on their behalf. They said, what we'll do, we will go. You're right, Moses. It's not fair that we sit here and send our brethren off to win you know, the, the land that God has promised them. We'll go. We'll fight with them. We'll build cities, we'll build sheepfolds, we'll set it up for our families to be here, and then we will go and fight with our brethren, and we will not return until God has brought all of our brethren into their promised possession. They understood. Now that is a step of faith on their part. They're committing themselves to the battles of the promised land. And they're going to have to trust God to bring victory, and they're going to have to trust God that they'll be able to return and settle once again with their families. And so this is a blessing, and we can, we can know from Joshua, later on in the book of Joshua, that they kept their word. And eventually, after the land was taken, Joshua eventually sends them home with blessing. But still there is something of a compromise here. Uh, one is that they, they leave their family. So they go off to war, and they leave their families behind to settle uh, on this east side of the Jordan. All of the other families would cross over. All of the other families would, be, would see and witness the victories that the Lord would bring. None of Reuben or Gad or Manasseh's families would see the walls of Jericho come down. 
They would miss all that God would do in the promised land. They would leave their families behind. They would go to serve and they would go to, to be faithful. But this separation from their families, I believe, would ultimately, you know, kind of steal away some opportunity for their family to see the work of God, to see the grace of God. You know, I think the Lord wants us to stay with our families. I think that we should serve together. I think that we should, you know, we should commit together and bring your little ones with you. As, as you have opportunity, as you know, if the Lord calls and gives opportunity for you to serve, you want your children to grow up seeing that, walking through those things with you. I know in my own life, you know, um, we've had our kids around us the whole time. As uh, Tony and I are serving in ministry, we, the kids grew up, uh, you know, around our feet while we served in ministry. I've told this story before, but I remember, you know, at one time I was so busy in church and work and, you know, that I felt like, gosh, I, we just need a, a, a family time. We just need to stay home because we were off to rehearsal. We were off to service. We were off to, you know, and there does need to be a balance. OK, you know that. And so I thought, wow, I just we're going to I'm going to I'm going to cancel rehearsal and I'm just we're just going to stay home with the family. This was one, you know, when they were still kind of young. So I brought this great news to the family. I said, hey, kids, come on, and guess what? I've canceled rehearsal. We're just going to stay home and, and be together as a family. Oh, Dad, we wanted to go. Man, we, we're going to meet so-and-so. We're going to be skateboarding through the hallway. And, oh, no, I got to You know, it's like what, they would become so acclimated to this life of, you know, on the go and ministry serving, and, and they adapted, and they, you know, the other kids were there, and, and so it became something of a part of what they grew up with and part of what the family did. And I encourage you to serve with your kids around you. Include them in, in ministry opportunities. Take your kids, if they're old enough, take them on a mission trip. Go down and, and serve with uh, Brother Ricardo. Take a day and go down there and serve in Mexico. And take your kids with you. Let them make a little trip with you. Take the road trip. Serve together. Uh, Let them see some other cultures. Let them see what others are going through. Took our family with us on one of our trips to India. And, uh, you know, it was just a great, blessed experience for them, for the kids to go and see these boys at the orphanage. My daughters with tears in their eyes, praying and ministering to these little boys. You know, my, my sons just meeting some of the pastor's sons over there in India and, you know, doing weird dances around the fireplace at night. I don't know, fire pit at night, you know. We have some video of that. <laughs> but a lot of, just a lot of really wonderful memories and experiences that we've had because we endeavored to try and, and keep the family together. And, you know, I, I encourage you to, you know... Uh, don't try to, to protect your family from serving the Lord. You, your family will never be injured by your heart to serve Him. Your family, your children will never miss out if you are responding to what the Lord is directing and calling you to do. Take them with you in faith. Let them see you living by faith. And I think that this is a great disappointment for these tribes because their families would never see the miraculous things that God was getting ready to do in the land of Canaan. 
And I think that they're settling for something less. Don't you think God could have provided grazing land on the west side of the Jordan too? My guess is it might have been even better. And they would have been able to have all that they were settling for, but so much more. But they decided that this... And, and you know, again, Moses allows this. And I, in my mind, this is not plan A. You notice they say, oh, our inheritance has fallen to us here. Well, that's what you decided your inheritance would be. God never said, this is your inheritance. God said your inheritance is in the promised land. You decided that you would settle for your inheritance on this side of the, of, of the uh, Jordan River. Well, uh, I also want to draw your attention there to verse 23. Again, this strong warning from Moses. You've probably heard this quoted. This is where you find it. But if you do not do so, then take note. If you don't go over and keep your word and fight with your brethren, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sins do find you out, don't they? God, there are no secret sins. And Moses is letting them know because that's the temptation. The temptation is that you will somehow renege on this commitment and it will seem to you like there is no consequence. But Moses is saying, don't don't be deceived that way. Be sure if you do this, it will be a sin against the Lord and against your brethren and your sin will find you out. There is a consequence to sin. There is a reaping and sowing principle that cannot be avoided. Paul would say this to the Galatian church, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. To whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So your sins will find you out. Now, by the grace of God, if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we are secretly covering and participating and not confessing, not getting our hearts right, David said, when I hid my sin, my bones were melting within me. When I confessed it, when I got clean with the Lord, when I came clean, then there was healing and there was forgiveness and mercy. So this seek, this idea that you know somehow you can get away with sin and God not see, of course God sees it. And it will find you out. And it will bring consequence. Get your heart right. Repent quickly. Confess your sin immediately unto the Lord. Get your heart right. Move forward in grace and mercy. Don't be looking to live a, a, a secret life in sin. So we won't read this final section, what, what the last verses do, do, basically 33 through the end of the chapter. It just describes how the specific land there was divvied up and how the towns were divided there on the east side of the Jordan. And uh, this is where they, they, they would settle. And interesting to note that these are the tribes that would be the first to go into captivity uh, generations later. There is something about settling outside what God has called you to and to, you know, offers the blessing of protection, the, the protection of the body, the people, the nation. 
they settled on the outskirts. And as it would, as it would happen, they became vulnerable because they weren't close to the rest of the nation. And they were the ones that began to fall away from the worship of the Lord and began to become open to pagan worship because they weren't close to the worshiping center of the nation. And ultimately, they would be the ones first to come into captivity as God began to judge the nation of Israel generations later. So this did um, affect them. Not only that, but they would, be, they would have limited service. It's just like living out on the outskirts, not there in the heart of what God was doing amongst His people. You know, there will be temptations in our life to settle. There will be temptations in our life to just, you know, take matters into our own hands. There will be temptations to to kind of do what we see and think is good and not really trust the Lord and walk by faith. I encourage you tonight to be mindful of those things that God has called you to do. Mindful of those things that are spiritual in nature. And I'll just close with, again, I, I... I use my life only as an example for you to to share some of the uh, things I've learned and some of the mistakes I've made and some of the things that I feel the Lord has has blessed and worked. Uh, And we've made a lot of mistakes, uh, Tony and I, in our lifetime. uh, 29 years of marriage. (laughs) We've made some mistakes, for sure. But I will say this, that we have tried, and and as as I say, we've fallen short many times, but we've tried to have a certain guiding principle for our life concerning the big decisions of life. Where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? You know, are you going to move? What are you going to, how are you going to raise the kids? You know, what are we going to do financially? What are we, you know, those big decisions that sometimes you have to make as a family. And we've tried to keep that passage where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. We've tried, and as I say, we've we've fallen short. But as a rule, we've tried to to keep that passage as kind of a guiding principle for us. And there have been opportunities that we had to make decisions, you know. Um, How were we going to live? Were were we going to live on one income or two? Now, I know this is not always possible. Sometimes you, you can't live on one. But it worked out for us to be able to, to live on one. Now, we could have lived better on two, for sure. But when the kids were young and in the home, we decided that that wouldn't be worth, the money wouldn't be worth having um, my wife in the home with the kids when they're younger. Now, as the kids get older, of course, they become more independent and less you know, a needy, and, and there's more opportunity for families to, to you know, uh, operate differently. This is just one of those things that we decided. There were times when we needed to make decisions about um, moving. Some opportunities presented themselves that we thought would be really much better for us financially, much better for us even in terms of where we might live and, you know, the kind of home we might be able to afford. But then we would pray and we would ask the Lord and we would feel like we would not be released to do that. And we had a place of fellowship or we had a place of ministry that we were serving in. And, and so then we felt like, no, this is, you know, this is what God wants us to do now. And so we, we tried to make those decisions based on the kingdom. Now, it could be that God will call you to a new place and a new, uh, or, or sometimes, you know, a job takes you to a new place. 
or the Lord leads you to a new place. I'm not saying that there's no opportunities for moving and changing. That oftentimes is the Lord as well. But do it in a sense of trying to follow after Him. Not, oh, this looks good. Here would be the contrasting view. Oh man, I got this great job offer in such and such a city. We're going. Well, have you prayed about it? Well, you know, God's opened the door. Certainly it's Him. And, and, you know, well, gosh, you know, where are you going to fellowship? Well, there's good churches everywhere. We'll plug in. But, man, we're going. This is exciting. And that, that, to me, would be kind of minimizing, relegating the spiritual part of your decision kind of as, well, it'll just, we'll just, that'll just tow along with us as we pursue the financial opportunity, the career opportunity. Now, it's a blessing when God brings it together, and I don't want to discourage you from taking good career opportunities. Sometimes that's the way the Lord leads. Sometimes that's exactly the way the Lord leads. He opens up uh, a a job opportunity, and that's His hand directing you to go there. It's time. But it needs to be done in prayer. It needs to be done, you know, considering where will we fellowship? Is there going to be a place for us to plug in? Do we feel called? God has called you to be a part of, of the body of Christ and a disciple of Jesus Christ and to seek first the kingdom of God, not what you'll wear, not what you'll, where you'll live, not finances, not these other things. God says, seek first His kingdom and He'll take care of these other things. These other things are important. We know that. Job, career, all of that is part of what God works into the calling of a man, a, wa- a woman, a family. But it needs to be done in, in concert with what he's speaking, what he's saying, what he's showing. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've, we've missed the marks on times. But I will say, over, over time, I feel like that's, that's been a good, those have been good guiding principles for me and my family. And I have no regrets for opportunities that maybe I missed, but the blessing of what God has given and what God has done. And uh, I would encourage you to to really don't walk by sight. (laughs) Walk by faith. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for just this little case study, really, and a tribe of Israel. Paul told us that they were given to us as examples for us. And so we see something here, Lord. We see tribes settling outside the promised land. And in my mind, Lord, they're settling for something less than what you called them to. And Lord, we don't want to be uh, those that would settle for something less than what you've called us to. Lord, I'd like to believe that in our hearts there would be a desire for everything that you have. I think of Paul's word talking about his own pressing towards the mark reaching for the prize, that, that urgency in heart to be faithful to the calling of God upon His life. And so I pray for us tonight, Lord, that we would not be affected by, by sight, circumstance, not be led about by our own ideas, our own understanding, taking matters into our own hands. We'll fix it. We'll do this. We'll do that. Lord James said, you know, that that's, it's not even appropriate for us to be talking, oh, we'll go to this city, we'll make a profit, we'll do this and we'll do that. Rather, we should be saying, if the Lord wills, 
then we will do this or we will do that. So it's just a matter of, Lord, kind of submitting to your lordship in our life and putting your kingdom first and putting your promises and keeping them before us. Lord, I want to be walking by faith, not by sight. It's not easy. Lord, as I've confessed here tonight, Lord, I, I know I've fallen short on many occasions. But Lord, I'm also thankful tonight that by your grace and by your mercy, you've bumped me along and kept me on path. And in my heart, Lord, in our hearts tonight, we're wanting to seek first your kingdom. And Lord, I believe that in, if that's in our heart, you will get us there and you will lead us there. So I pray for us as a church, as individuals, as families tonight, that we would be led by your spirit and be walking in faith. As your heads are bowed here tonight, I do want to give an opportunity. If you need to respond to the Lord, just want to close in prayer for you tonight. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment if you're here tonight and and you need to come to the Lord. You don't have a relationship with Him, but you've maybe sensed that He's speaking to you tonight. Maybe you've, maybe you've been taking matters into your own hands. Maybe you've been living your life based on sight, not really by faith. And God is speaking to you tonight. Maybe you don't know the Lord in a personal way. What I mean is you've never really received the forgiveness of sins that comes to you through faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you and wants to save and redeem your life right now here. If you've never experienced that, but the Lord is speaking to you and you desire it, I want to pray for you. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life, recommit yourself to Him. You're distant, you're far, your heart has grown cold, and you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've been out on one of your taking matters into your own hand journeys, and you're ready to come back to the Lord and surrender your life completely to Him. I want to pray for you too. So if you're here tonight, you need the Lord Jesus for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand so that I can see you, and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight? Bless you. God bless you there in the back, and you, sir, as well. You, ma'am, as well, my left. Any others here tonight? The Lord's speaking to you. Let me see your hand and we'll pray. And so, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts that have responded tonight. Lord, I know that it's your Holy Spirit that's speaking. Lord, we're, we're reading out of the book of Numbers. We're reading how you led a nation of people and how you spoke into their lives. And yet, it comes alive in our hearts tonight. So for these that have responded, Lord, meet them tonight. I pray, God, on their behalf, Lord, I pray this prayer. And and Lord, I ask that you would just join their hearts to this prayer. We would say, Lord, we come to you tonight and we surrender. We have been living life by our own strength, our own wisdom, by sight, not by faith. Managing it ourselves, walking, trying to to keep things under control. And, And yet, Lord, we find ourselves here tonight broken and needing forgiveness. Lord, our sins have found us out in many cases. God, forgive us. 
Lord, we, can, we repent. We turn from those things we've been doing. We're asking You to cleanse us tonight by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary. You died on our stead. You died in our place, Lord. You paid the price for my sin. I receive it tonight by faith. Forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me with Your Spirit. And begin to lead me in faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.